More thoughts on Pacers preseason game one. Is Jordan Wara really going to be in the Pacers rotation? Is Aaron Neesmith getting underrated in discussions about his long-term future with the team? And Pacers Rockets tonight, what to watch for in preseason game two. We'll get to all of it today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, the setup is done. The podcast studio and the new house is finished, so thank God for that if you're watching on YouTube. And we're talking more about the Pacers preseason action stuff from Monday, Sunday, that Either surprised me, didn't get talked about enough, or should be talked about more. And looking at preseason action tonight, Pacers-Rockets in Houston for Game 2. A different, unique test for the Pacers tonight against the new-look Houston team. Tomorrow night, we'll be breaking down that game with a guest. I would like to have a post-game guest on a couple more times this season. I did not do that very often last year. We'll see who it is. I have a good hunch, but we'll see. Let's start by the thing, talking about the thing in Pacers preseason Game 1 that I didn't talk about a lot for... Various reasons. The main one being that Jarris Walker was incredible anyway in his minutes that he did play. But it was Jordan Wara being in the Pacers rotation in at least the part of the game that seemed like the more normally structured rotation part for both Memphis and Indiana, right? 4.38 to go in the first quarter. Jordan Wara comes in. And he came in with uh, Aaron Neesmith and Isaiah Jackson. Uh, and that was part of the bench group. T.J. McConnell was in at that time. Bruce Brown had been subbed out. So I think it was McConnell, Matherin, uh, Neesmith, Wara, Jackson. Sounds a lot like what the second unit has been discussed as, except no Andrew Nemhard because he's, of course, out with the kidney stones. So that was the most surprising thing to me. I did say every year it seems like there's one somewhat surprising a sub or reserve or whatever for the Pacers. And that is a consequence of them having a deep young team in recent seasons. And it's not like they've been without justification like Terry Taylor last year, for example, uh, O'Shea Brissett the year before not being in it for Torrey Craig. You could go on and on back in time. TJ McConnell and Aaron Holiday debates from years in the past. So Jordan Wara was the guy that immediately I went, oh, Jordan Wara is in. It's the first quarter. Jarris Walker has not played yet. Jarris Walker did not play in the first half. Is Jordan Wara really going to sneak in to the Pacers rotation? And Jordan Wara helped himself in the case of like, hey, don't forget about me when you're thinking about this team's rotation. I'm guilty of glossing over him and talking about the Pacers' top 10 plus 11th being T.J. McConnell, and that being that, he would be guy 12, and there are a lot of ways he could play, but there are also a lot of ways that Ben Shepard could be a deep replacement instead of Wara. So I've glossed over him maybe too much, and he hit two of his first four shots, and so his first impression was good. And his half first half stat line for Jordan Wara, so this is with the rest of... Here are the guys that played in the first half of the Pacers. There's a nine-man rotation, right? Matherin, Toppin, Turner, Brown, McConnell, Heald, Wara, Jackson, Neesmith. Add in a Halliburton, that's kind of what you're going to see, right? That's what it seems like you're going to see roughly. So Wara was the surprising player. In that first half, Jordan Wara was 3-for-6 from the field, 2 rebounds, and 7 points, right? Uh, His final stat line was clunky, and a lot of his crummier plays came in the third quarter and the second half. In the first half, when he was playing with the Pacers rotation guys, he actually looked... Solid, but he was in there instead of Walker, and that really surprised me. Um, 
really surprised me. Is this actually going to be a thing that the Pacers decide to do? Well, let's start by taking a little trip back in time. If you remember, I talked about this a few weeks ago. This is why I do the news updates in the offseason. Uh, September 23rd is when the interview came out. The NBA.com uh, coach interviews, they did one with Rick Carlisle. Um, Steve Oshburner did the interview with Rick Carlisle. And he asked Rick, are you counting on Obi Toppin being driven to prove doubters wrong? Here's Rick Carlisle's answer about Obi Toppin. He said, look, since TJ Warren's injury three years ago, the Pacers have been in search of a four-man, a starting four, and a legitimate backup. So with Toppin, with the drafting of Walker, and with Aaron Neesmith back this year, we've got three guys that have played that position effectively. Not to mention Jordan Wara, who played very well at the end of the year. So all of a sudden, we've got a lot of possibilities there. So the two things that stood out to me, one, including Neesmith in the forward section. We'll talk about Neesmith in the second segment. And two, getting Jordan Wara in there at all. Right, Clearly an emphasis on like, hey, we have Jordan Wara. He's good. Jordan Wara lost weight this summer to get down to like 215, be a little more mobile, work his way around, wiggle on the perimeter, right? There are ways that you can squint and say, yes, he makes sense as a player who can do stuff for the Pacers. Now, here's the key argument here. He's good. <laughs> he At least for the Pacers, he's been good, mostly offensively, right? His defense is definitely a work in progress. I think he would even tell you that. That is definitely his weakest side of the floor, especially for the Pacers. Like his defensive impact numbers with the Bucks last year were okay. With the Pacers, they were the worst of his career. But he's a 40% three-point shooter, at least since... Um, mostly a 40% three-point shooter, one rough stretch with Milwaukee. Good finishing, good enough finishing at the rim. The reason his percentages with the Pacers have been so high is he's just been lights out from mid-range since being traded to the Pacers, right? His shooting percentages, right? for At the rim, 60% with the Pacers last year. That's below his league average. 46.5% from 3 to 10 feet, slightly below, above his um, league average. His three-point percentage, slightly above his league average. But his 10 to 16 footers, 50%, 16% above his league average. That's where a lot of his number jumps came from. But he just looked more comfortable. He played a lot more, right? He was good for the Pacers. So that is obviously an important factor in discussing all this is, yeah, he was good. It's not like he did anything to not play. And I shouldn't have been as surprised as I was that Jordan Ward didn't play because at the very end of the last, I think it was the last practice. I can't remember, and I apologize. This is bad reporting or talking but one of the practices we could see near near the end of last week there was a group working with Lloyd Pierce late uh, while we were doing media and that group working with Lloyd Pierce was Isaiah Wong, Ben Shepard, Jarris Walker, Kendall Brown and Oscar Shibway and Jalen Smith was kind of helping too it was kind of some three-on-three stuff but like a young group and hey that five happened to be the five that they were kind of using at the end of the game with Jalen Smith in there um, you know, against the Grizzlies. So maybe I should have seen it coming because that group did happen. I think that was the seventh, now that I'm looking back through my notes. That would have been Saturday's practice, the last one before they left. Um, so there was evidence that he might be with that group. But I still, but that doesn't mean, one practice does not mean anything, right? They've been mixing and matching groups. That's a very young group. Perhaps that was done strategically just for learning purposes. I thought Jairus Walker would certainly be in the rotation, right? But we've also seen Walker in some not deep reserve groups and some bench groups. He talked about, remember, playing with Tice and uh, who was the rest of his group? Andrew Nemhard and I forget the other one, right? We've heard it before with Jarris where he's in a different group. So War is good, right? I don't want to lose that. He's a great shooter, great on the mid-rangers, even though there's the weak defense. The trouble is the long-term versus short-term approach of just, if you're just talking about Jarris Walker versus Jordan War on the rotation, 
Jairus Walker is the long-term play and maybe the short-term play. He might. I mean, he was better Sunday night, certainly. I mean, he was incredible. He led the team in points and rebounds, right? Jairus Walker was awesome. So maybe he is the better answer, short and long-term. And the Pacers are thinking long-term anyway. So Walker seems like the choice to me. Jordan Wara, even if he was, maybe they were thinking long-term there. They can't extend him because of the contract he signed with the Bucks. Uh, and he's a free agent after the season. It's harder to know what his future is with your franchise, even if you like him. It's hard to know that. It's hard to guarantee anything in that way. So there's some push and pull there. So if I were making decisions, Jairus Walker would be playing. He'd be my backup four. Maybe that will happen in Houston. Maybe this is an overblown thing. And to nothing Jordan Wara did wrong. He played well for the Pacers last year, right? Definitely. Career moments for him. Set the franchise record for points in a quarter. He could not have known he was doing that. That Jairus Walker was going... They weren't. The Pacers weren't going to win the lottery, so Jairus Walker was going to be the best player on their board available when they were up on the Pacers board. They can't have known that Obi Toppin was going to be available for nothing, basically. You know, two crummy seconds. And so they have suddenly a bunch of power forwards, and Neesmith can squeeze in that rota- that spot as well. So he, he can't have known that, right? That, that sucks for him. It's bad circumstance. But it's just the reality of the Pacers that... He's probably not a guy that I think, at least, should be one of their top two fours, even though he's done nothing wrong. He's played very well for the Pacers, especially offensively. But that doesn't mean this conversation has to just look like that, right? This conversation can be, should Jordan Wara play instead of Jairus Walker as a backup four? I don't think the answer should be yes to that question, but that is what happened in the first preseason games. This is a conversation worth having, and I am looking forward to talking more in media sessions with, with Rick Carlisle to hear some thinking there. And Jairus could be the backup four tonight, and then you'll forget I even said this. But the other part of this is something that Kalen and I talked about that I would like to continue to get into the ether just in case it becomes a thing, just in case. What if Jordan Wara is the backup four and Jairus Walker is the backup five? Then all of a sudden, there's some clarity about getting you know, short and long-term fits in there. Now, you are suddenly burying three centers two of whom are young and who you've been developing if you're the Pacers, two of whom you've invested resources into, whether that's trading away Torrey Craig and giving a contract to him or trading up draft capital to draft him in Isaiah Jackson, right? Maybe you don't want to bury those guys. But if that's the best way to get your 10-man rotation, that is possible, right? Jordan Wara versus Jairus Walker, not a dis- like I'm playing Jairus Walker every time. If you're telling me it's Jordan Wara versus some of the backup fives, and the, if the backup fives don't impress, I think you could make that. A, dis- a discussion worth having. So it's one game and it's all that data we have. So maybe I'm making this more of a thing than it was, but that was the most surprising rotation thing to me. I wanted to talk more about it. And even though Wars done nothing wrong and he played well with the rotation players themselves, I think Walker should be the guy getting those minutes because the Pacers have said they're thinking long-term. Yes, they have short-term goals. They want to win this year. That's great. I think you can do both with Jairus Walker, as you saw on Sunday. We'll see where that goes. That will be among the questions uh, tracked tonight, right? You heard me in the first segment on Sunday go through the starters, the rotation questions, the new guys, all that sort of stuff. We're going to do that every preseason game, and that will happen once again tonight. And the Jordan Wara, Jairus Walker discussion will certainly get brought up again. Let's talk about a different reserve forward, and that's Aaron Neesmith, who quietly had a pretty good game and led the Pacers in free throw attempts, really, against the Grizzlies. What does that mean? Does that mean anything? Is he getting underrated in discussions about the Pacers right now and their long-term future? We will talk about that here in the second segment before we do that though 
I need to talk to you guys about the great people over at Jace Medical who are making the Jace case, which provides five life-saving antibiotics for easy emergency use. Everybody should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you peace of mind so that you are not just hoping you have access to medication in an emergency. You've got it. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication on hand. It's simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation care so you do not get caught unprepared. They ship it right to you. It's super easy. Get $20 off their life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using our code LOCKDOWN at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-E-S-E medical.com to try the Jace case. Do not get caught unprepared. Try Jace case today. Thank you, as always making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. The French kid, he played Victor Wimpanyama preseason debut against Chet Holmgren. Uh, There were some crazy plays. J-Dub crossed over Wemby, and it looked like a sick crossover. I was already kind of oohing and on as a viewer. And then Wemby just kind of turned around with these little shuffle steps and reached his arm over and just kind of like leaned towards the play, blocked the shot, right? He got cooked on a dribble, turned around and blocked the shot. I mean, he just does some stuff that's impossible. It's crazy. Chat was also amazing. <laughs> um, I had a lot of interest in him as well. So Lockdown Thunder could be your second listen too. I'm excited to watch those two guys this year. That was a super fun game. You can get more on that game from either Lockdown Thunder or Lockdown Spurs. Here at Lockdown Pacers, let's talk about Aaron Neesmith. <laughs> Not as tall as the two guys I just mentioned, but perhaps an overlooked piece of the Pacers. I was looking through the box score today, thinking of things I wanted to dive into a little bit more from a Pacers perspective. Just peeking through some stats, right? I thought about talking about 53 three-point attempts. Whew, 19 of them from the rookies. That's crazy. I also thought about talking about them winning the possession battle against Memphis. They won the rebounding battle, something that is kind of important to the Pacers. 16 offensive rebounds for the Pacers. Those are topics for another day. Today, we're talking about Aaron Neesmith because what caught my eye was looking through the Pacers' free throw attempts. They had 24, and Aaron Neesmith had a quarter of them. He took six of them himself. Let's talk about what they were. One of them, actually two of them, one of the trips to the line came in transition. He flew ahead after a stop. He contested a Luke Kennard three. He leaked out. Ben Matherin got the rebound. Credit to Ben Matherin. Ben Matherin threw a beautiful full-court pass. Neesmith catches, draws a foul, gets the line. Great leak out. Textbook. He did the contest perfectly to force the Luke Kennard miss. Second one, uh, nose for the ball play. In the paint. Offensive rebound right to him. Going through two guys. Draws an off-ball foul. They were in the bonus. Right, fighting for a rebound between two guys. And the third one just takes the ball from a ball handler, flies up the floor in transition, three seconds left in the third quarter. They have to foul him to stop a layup, right? Like, just head, nose for the ball, I'm fighting for it kind of plays. Tough dude. And this reminded me, when re-watching all three of his foul draw, foul draw situations, of when Rick Carlisle said last year, if I told Aaron e. Smith to run through a brick wall, he would run through a brick wall. That's not exactly how he said it, but basically that, Right. And so that got me thinking, is Aaron Neesmith getting underrated in these discussions about the Pacers? Because if he can be this guy, I, I talked about him very highly after their first preseason game last year, and he had a good season. But if he can be a guy who can make all these hustle plays and be like they they want his minutes in the game, two steals, one block, dishing out some nice passes, handling the ball, the shot did not fall. He was one for six from the field. But if he is a 36% shooter who plays defense like that and makes hustle plays like that forever, like that's a good player. 
especially one who's playing defense on the wing. He's probably overcast last year. Playing the four is not what he should be doing. And that's where I wanted to take this conversation. I want to know if I'm underrating, if I personally, you know, other people might feel differently about Aaron Neesmith than me. I want to know if I personally am underrating Aaron Neesmith because he took these strides forward last year playing a position that I would call slightly out of position for him. Not entirely. If he plays the four, that's fine. That's a fine choice for the Pacers. He's tall enough. But he's 6'5". He's probably better defending threes and down, uh, just given that size thing. And so that's something I asked him about on media day. Like, I'll probably write this story at some point before the season starts. But, you know, I asked him, what did you work on this summer kind of, first, at what in general, what did you work on? But, like, what is different for you about when you're playing, not playing the four this year? Which is funny, because I just talked about in the first segment, Carlisle bringing him up in the power forwards discussion, which is true. He could play the four this year, too. Um that would also make the Wara Jarris Walker front court harder to get out there because if he's playing the four, that probably means McConnell and them harder playing. But either way, I assume less minutes at the four coming for Neesmith. He was not playing the four as much in the nine-man rotation we saw in the first half on Sunday. He didn't play the four hardly at all in those minutes. So I asked him what he worked on. He just kind of said, you know, being better overall. But the, the specific things he mentioned were pace, okay, perimeter stuff. Ball handling, yeah, perimeter stuff. Making better reads, right? Stuff that is going to be important if you're playing the three. And then he kind of went on to describe it when asked about playing the three instead of the four. This was the thing that made it click for me. He said, playing above the arc more or less in the corners, setting screens, quote, like buddy, unquote, right? He can be that I don't think he'll be the shooter buddy heel is certainly I'm not even going to try to compare them in that way but if he could be a small forward who's like setting early screens and diving around and flying around the perimeter and being a brute force screen dude instead of just being a corner three shooter all the time that's kind of a better role for him to me like he's not just like some spot up shooter who occasionally gets to cut like, if he's flying around on the perimeter, not saying he should be a catch-and-shoot guy, not saying they should be running plays for Aaron Neesmith, but if he's just kind of like a chaotic force guy on the perimeter, I think that will make a lot of sense. And defending at a position that is more apt with his size also makes a lot of sense. So a lot of stuff points to him being kind of a nice piece for the Pacers. Like, doing the stuff he did last year, but in a role like I just described, where he's playing a little more with pace, handling the ball a tiny bit more, making reads that he thinks are better, and setting those screens, playing between the corners more instead of in the corners. That's good stuff. That's a good role for Aaron e. Smith. And if you're the Pacers, part of the the underrated thinking for them would be, well, he's an important defensive piece, right? He wants to be a vocal leader defensively. He told us that. He thinks the, they can do the one – he described it as the 1% things. If they can do that stuff a little better throughout the whole season, he thinks it's like five more wins, right, for them defensively doing that kind of stuff. So he wants to be a defensive leader. He's saying the right things. He's a good enough shooter right now. And he's young. And he's going to be a restricted free agent next year. And he's extension eligible. Like every single sign of that points to like a somewhat useful long-term piece. If he can't shoot as well this year, that is definitely important because he's not like a handle, take it to the rim guy. His cuts, he's not like, like he's weird. He's athletic, but doesn't have like bursty jumps or anything, if that makes any sense. So figuring out exactly what that player can be is tricky. But if he's a guy who can just like, make two heads-up plays a game and get four free throws out of it, like he did against the Grizzlies, that suddenly is very important to his efficiency. Last year, he took two free throws a game, and he drilled them, 84% from the line. That's not a lot of free throws, but that's a good amount. That's good enough, <laughs> you know, especially if he's in a bench roll this year. 
right? That That's valuable. That's why his true shooting percentage was almost a career high last year, despite shooting much better from three as a rookie. Not much better. Despite shooting somewhat better from three as a rookie than he did for the Pacers because he could get to the line and could do stuff around the rim a little bit better. His shooting percentage at the rim last year was a career low, but the volume was way up. So there's a lot of signs that suggest to me that Neesmith is it uh, to me I've said this on this show if I were building the Pacers rotation I would put Neesmith in and I would do I would make decisions to keep him in like I'm not working him he's not like squeaking in at the end for me I'm putting him in my rotation and saying what do I have to do to make sure this is the case I will do that because if he can have a little more ball handling make those nosy plays all the time like get get an extra free throw out of it or be a defensive leader just one extra thing adding to his game from the kind of like lowest possible level 3 and D base that he provided last year, that's a valuable player. And one that I'm looking forward to watching this season is his role kind of expands as he's going to be, it sounds like, more of a perimeter guy if he's playing the three more. Let's conclude today's show by looking at the Rockets, the Pacers' opponent tonight. Looking forward to seeing the Pacers against a different team, one that plays differently, one that also or one that does have a new coach, so the Rockets people will be learning a lot. Let's talk about Pacers, Rockets, what to watch for in that game. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen, Locked On Rockets with Jackson Gatlin. To hear the latest out of Houston, what's going on with the, the Ime Udoka-led Rockets as they host the Pacers for their first preseason game of the 2023-24 season. A new test for the Pacers. Of course, lots to watch for. We'll get to it all in this segment. I'm really looking forward to it. We'll break it all down tonight. The differences between the first game, the results, who stood out, who didn't, the rookies, everything. You know we'll get to it. So what about the Rockets specifically is going to be telling for this Pacers team? I want to start in the front court because I didn't expect this to be such an important thing for me to keep an eye on, and I think everybody should be keeping an eye on this, but Jaron Jackson just cooked the Pacers. I mean, he he had Obi Toppin in jail. He just would walk his way into the post with Toppin guarding him, easy buckets. He got by Miles Turner twice, no problem, right? He did a great job. Steven Adams wasn't like, that was his first game since like January, I think. For Steven Adams, he only played 11 minutes, but he had five rebounds in 11 minutes and a block, and he made both of his shots. Like, even he was forceful around the rim. Pacers got bullied in the front court. No doubt about it. I don't even think they would say anything different than that we didn't get to watch pressure because the game wasn't on ballet so I don't know what they said after the game but that's what I would imagine they're talking about we can't get bullied in the front court again well Alperen Shengun and Jabari Smith will be a test for them and that's not because they're awesome players although Jabari Smith I watched him in summer league that dude could be an awesome player and Alperen Shengun is pretty dang good but the the out contraire actually it's their, it's their current, they're, they're going to be good players. They're not awesome right this second. The fact that they're not awesome right this second is why it's an important test. Because if the Pacers can do really well against that group, that means, okay, maybe the Grizzlies were just an awful matchup for them. And they'll be a little better than that in the front court going forward. And if they get they get hosed tonight by the Rockets front court, well, then you're like, oh, man, the Pacers' defensive scheme is not going to help them in the front court. If they can't guard one-on-one down there, it doesn't matter what they do on the perimeter. Teams can just walk it in and make plays from there. That's not going to fly. So we'll learn a lot by how the Pacers defend those guys or if it even matters that much, right? If they play a team that has bigs like them, but Jabari Smith might play on the perimeter a ton and Alperen Sengun could struggle like he has in the past to really get involved and get the ball. That's not necessarily his fault all the time, but that has been a thing for the Rockets, right? If that is the case, then maybe the Pacers aren't 
you know, maybe it's just a one-game overreaction to say that they got their butt kicked by Triple J and Adams. If they get their butt kicked again, then we'll have to have a longer conversation. And if it's somewhere in between, which is the most likely outcome, what actually happened, right? Did they defend the center well and not the power forward or vice versa? What can they do better? That's something I'll be watching for because Darren Jackson Jr. made it look so freaking easy. It, it was it was ridiculous. Uh, 8 for 15, if you didn't watch Sunday's game, was Jaron Jackson. But he missed four threes. 8 for 12 inside the arc. Five boards, two assists, two steals, five blocks, 18 points. I mean, he just was eating everybody up uh, on the inside. That's one thing I will be watching for. The other thing is that I think is going to be a little different. This is just a guess because we've never seen this Rockets team play, right? Fred Van Vliet's going to be playing his first time for that team. Amen Thompson's going to be playing for the first time. For that team, Jeff Green might be playing. I don't know what his preseason status is going to be. Dylan Brooks could be playing for the first time. They have a lot of new-ish players. Jack Landale, uh, in new head coach. Like I said, who knows how they're going to play? But given what their personnel looks like, it is. I think they're going to be a team that's really spread out, right? Really spread out and tries to use the, their players' creation abilities to their advantage. Fred VanVleet can shoot. Jalen Green can really put it on the floor. And take it to the cup. Amen Thompson can really put it on the floor and take it to the cup, although he might have, at least immediately in his time in the NBA, some negative spacing concerns. Jabari Smith could be both a shooter and a guy who can occasionally take it to the cup. And Shingun is a beast around the rim, right? They could be a very well spaced out balanced team with a decent bench group of guys who can also do a lot of that stuff. We'll see exactly how they decide to do their bench group. That group could be a little more smushed, but they'll be spacing it out more than the Grizzlies do, where Adams is certainly more, you know, 15 feet and in, set screens, run to the basket kind of player. Jaron Jackson was doing that a ton in this first game. What do the Pacers play like, when in their, especially in their new scheme that's more one-on-one, two-on-two based? Whenever the floor is way wider, things are more spread out and they have to defend more in space. What's that going to look like? It's a different talent level. It's different skill sets for those guys. Fred Van Vliet's not a shifty side-to-side, right? Maybe they can hang better with him. We'll see. Um, and the, I don't know how many pick-and-rolls the Rockets plan on running, but we'll learn a little bit more about the Pacers' defense against that kind of scheme as well. The little nuances between all these teams the Pacers play are going to be valuable to gain insights about their preseason performances, just like the Grizzlies being a possession team uh, that was killing it inside was valuable to learn about the Pacers. We'll see how they respond to that tonight in Houston. I am really looking forward to it. In a non-Houston macro perspective for the Pacers, obviously the same questions that we've been talking about all training camp are going to be the ones that we answer right after the game. Who started? Was it the expected group? Who is the backup center? How did the new guys look? You know, how did the rookies look? How did Matherin look evolving? What was the rotation? Did it, was it anything unique? Of course, that stuff still matters. And of course, we'll be watching that and tracking it. But beyond that, some other stuff that I am also looking forward to or have a note section for to type in answers next to for this game. A, Tyrese Halliburton. Does he play? <laughs> uh, again, he's on the trip. We saw him at the game. He was down in time for shoot around in the Memphis game. But they have uh, a little bit. They're being conscious about his workload after the USA basketball experience. It did end like three and a half, four weeks before the season, but you just never know. That's hardcore basketball. That's a different time zone. You get beat up. It's physical. Got Just be cautious, right? It's a preseason game. So it makes sense to me why he didn't play. We will see if he does or does not. It looked like from the pictures, from just from social media pictures, this is not me talking to anyone, that he practiced on, on Monday. So maybe he plays. If he does, we can learn more about how he looks how he looks with Ben, what the team looks like when he's in there, what the rotation looks like when he's involved. There's a lot to learn there. And to a similar vein, if he does play, and I, I don't know this, I haven't asked, 
But I would assume the same logic applies to a player who played for Germany in the World Cup. Daniel Tice was also in sweats on Sunday. Does he play? How does he look? Is he the backup five? That could change the answer that we got to that question on Sunday, right? Just anything with those two players, I think, will be noteworthy because they didn't play in the first game. So that's more information about this Pacers team. Other stuff I'll be watching for, any rotation changes. Does Walker get in with the main group in the first half? Is he one of the nine? What else potentially shifts with the backup center, the backup four, the backup three, all sorts of stuff that could change. Just Ben Shepard get a sniff of time with those groups. Not because I think it'll ever happen during the season, but just because he looked solid in those minutes. Uh, Sunday, in his second half minutes, could he get a little bit of burn with the first group? That kind of stuff I'll be watching for. And how the Pacers line up defensively, right? Who's going to guard Fred Van Vliet? I would guess Bruce Brown. I don't know that. Who's going to guard Jalen Green? I would guess Ben Matherin. I don't know that. So that will be kind of telling. And especially given the skill sets of the players I just mentioned, like I said earlier, Fred Van Vliet, not super shifty side to side. How will the Pacers decide how to do all that? And if Halberton plays, who do they put him on? How does that all shake into the equation? Houston, a very interesting team for the Pacers to learn stuff from. And we'll be watching for all of that and talking about it tomorrow here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. Later in this week, uh, Thursday show, we, I'm just titling it Veteran Questions, right? We talk a lot about the young guys and the future of them. And we've inadvertent, for different reasons, non-basketball reasons, talked a lot about Buddy Heald in the last month or so. Um, but I want to talk about the vets in general, McConnell, Tice, and Heald, and answer a big question about them. And their season Friday, fun show. We'll see when I can reveal what it actually is. Looking forward to that one as well. And then next week, we've got more games to talk about. They play again next Monday night. They'll have had Fan Jam over the weekend, so lots of stuff to get to here on the Lockdown Pacers Podcast. You know we're bringing it all to you every single day via the Lockdown Podcast Network. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you had a fantastic day. We will see you tomorrow.